Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and a very warm welcome to another edition of Revival in Motion. This is a weekly program where we go back to the basics and we explore how we can live this Islamic lifestyle and look at practical tools and we have guests coming on the program sharing that with us. Today we're going to a topic that many of us may have been talking about during the holiday period, reflecting on as we may set goals for the new academic or study or work year, but also as we get closer to Ramadan. Right, and we want to now prepare ourselves for this month of blessings. Our guest today, coming up later on in the program, is the owner of Mind First, a self development coach and an author. And Tasneem Ahmed Basha will be taking us through the topic of over responsibility. She'll be answering the question Are you over responsible for what happens around you, or do you take the exact right amount of responsibility? should also be guiding us to where is the line, where do you draw the line and how do you measure what is the appropriate level of responsibility to take in any leadership or life situation. More on this topic inshallah in the coming hour from Sister Tasneem Ahmed Basha. But first on the program we begin with our uh, reflection for the day and allowing us to take some time to truly reflect as the Quran Kareem encourages reflection for all believers. In Surah 43, Ayah 13, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, O humanity, indeed, we created you from a male and a female and made you into peoples and tribes so that you may get to know one another. Surely, the most noble of you in the sight of Allah is the most righteous among you. Allah is truly all-knowing, all-aware. With his infinite love, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us to live eternally in paradise. And this short life in the dunya is a divine test. Regarding this test, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, in Surah 16, Ayah 90, Surely Allah enjoins justice, kindness, and the doing of good to kiss and kin, and forbids all that is shameful, evil, and oppressive. He exhorts you so that you may be mindful. Indeed, now scientists have found evidence that human beings are born with an innate desire to be good and help others. And this innate state is such that it brings a person close to Islam. And that person is more receptive and inclined towards deen. Certainly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us with al-fitrah, with goodness. And this is mentioned in the Qur'an where Allah tells us, in Surah 30, Ayah 30, So direct your face towards the religion, inclining to truth. Adhere to the fitrah of Allah, upon which he has created all people. No change should there be in the creation of Allah. That is the correct religion, but most of the people do not know. Because of this fitrah, human beings deny evil. We know it as Al-Munkar in Arabic and in the Quran. So 
Because of this fitra, human beings deny evil without education, without guidance, uh, without studying, and accept what is good, known as al-ma'roof. Moreover, before this life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked us all the question, Am I not your Lord? We have all already testified to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He is our Lord and Master. And so it is our instinct. This is part of our fitrah. This is mentioned in the Quran in Surah 7, Ayah 172. And recall, O Prophet, when your Lord brought forth descendants from the loins of the sons of Adam and made them witnesses against their own selves, asking them, Am I not your Lord? They said, Yes, we do testify. We did so lest you claim on the day of resurrection. We were unaware of this. For this reason, Islam is the true natural religion, and it is the same eternal message revealed through the ages to all of Allah's prophets and messengers, السلام, The main message of the prophets has always been that there is only one true God, and He alone is to be worshipped. These prophets start with Adam السلام, and include Nuh, Ibrahim, Musa, Dawood, Sulaiman, Yahya, and Isa, السلام, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah 21, Ayah 25, We did not send before you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, any messenger, but we reveal to him, None has the right to be worshipped except I, therefore worship me. It is so important therefore to mention that the word Muslim means one who submits to the will of Allah regardless of their race or nationality or ethnic background. To be Muslim means that I submit to the will of one Allah, one creator. And so any person who is ready to submit to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is eligible to become a Muslim. Now, when a child is born, external factors do come into play. Example, a different religion or even a lack of religion around the child has an impact. The child remains in a natural state of goodness until they make a decision and a conscious choice with regard to Islam. So, what is the difference then between fitra, al-fitra and Islam? There is a saying of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that can help us answer this question. Once, Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was on a journey and they heard a shepherd calling out and they heard him calling out Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said He is upon fitrah The man then said the shahada And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Now he has saved himself from the fire Meaning he is Muslim so in conclusion, our fitrah, our goodness, helps us do our divine duties of charity to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by helping others 
and by taking care of animals and plants because they are all creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, as we learned from this hadith, following al-fitrah is not enough. To be a Muslim, we need to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as it is cited in the Qur'an in Surah 51, Ayah 56, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And I did not create the jinn and mankind except to worship me. And so as Muslims, we need to practice the five pillars, the shahada, the five daily salah, the giving of zakat, the fasting in Ramadan, and the pilgrimage of Al-Hajj. And it is now imperative for us to believe and to follow this final message from Allah. In Surah 34, Ayah 28, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We have not sent you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but to all mankind as a giver of good news, and as a warner, but most people do not know. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us to see the beauty of Islam in all aspects of our lives. May Allah make us obedient to his commands and his injunctions. May Allah make us of those who follow the sunnah of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah make us of those who love Islam, who defend Islam, who honor, respect, revere Islam always. Ameen. May Allah make us of those through whom others, because of our akhlaq and our application and our following in obedience to the Quran and Sunnah, that they become Muslim too. May Allah grant us the blessings of Islam and our progeny until the day of judgment. Ameen. Join us in the next segment as we continue exploring the beauty of Islam. Alhamdulillah, when we strive to seek inspiration and a role model, we have only to turn to the Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to find that. One of the ways that Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam inspires us is in how he embodied the quality of thankfulness in how he presented himself as a thankful prophet, a thankful servant of Allah, a thankful leader of the community, a thankful father and husband. Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the thankful prophet, embodied all the positive personality traits that can garner success for an individual in any area of the contemporary world. Whatever advantage we can hope to acquire along our journeys of self-actualization by availing, you know, reading self-help books or life coaching or attending grooming classes, finishing school, uh, you know, self-confidence, one can actually get all that and more just by studying and adopting Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's manners, his conduct, his ways of dealing with others, and his social etiquette. As his wife Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu anha eulogized, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's conduct and manners was the Qur'an. The question then arises that 
you know, what praiseworthy traits does the Quran extol which were embodied by Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam? There are too many, too innumerable to mention today. However, a very interesting concept that the Quran encourages its, its believers and students to ponder on and incorporate into their lives is thankfulness. Appreciation of, gratitude for, the favors and blessings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls himself al-shakur and al-shakir, meaning one who is appreciative. And we learn in Surah At-Taghabun, Surah 64, Ayah 17. For Allah is most ready to appreciate, most forbearing. Even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not need even an iota of our good deeds, He nevertheless knows and records and rewards and appreciates even the smallest of good deeds anyone ever does, whether it's smiling at someone or giving half a date in charity. His only requirement for this is that man does these deeds for his sake alone and not associate any partner with him, which means that man must do good deeds purely to please Allah and for no other reason. Despite the praiseworthy trait of thankfulness being mentioned many times in the Qur'an, few people embody it in their personal lives. In fact, in many places in the Qur'an, Allah mentions that man is an ingrate or how little we give thanks. Rasulullah was appreciative of even small, everyday good deeds that people around him did. Despite being the unquestionable authority figure during the latter half of his life, he was humble to the extent of always mingling into the crowd, being indiscernible from the common man, noticing even what small children did and giving them attention and importance. Aisha radiallahu anha reported that when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa occupied himself in salah, he observed such a long qiyam prayer that his feet were swollen. To which she said, Allah's Messenger, you do this in spite of the fact that your earlier and later sins have been pardoned for you? Thereupon he said, Aisha, should I not prove myself to be a thanksgiving servant of Allah? It's very interesting to note how Rasulullah referred to himself as an abd a slave of Allah. Indeed, even before identifying himself as Allah's messenger, he would call himself a slave first. So let's analyze the root word of the, the root meaning of the Arabic word shakur, which Rasulullah used to describe his state as Allah's slave. Now the meaning denoted from the root letters shakara doesn't just encompass the act of verbally and publicly thanking one's benefactor for their behavior, but also that this root includes other connotations besides verbal praise and acknowledgement. 
like the heart becoming humbled, lowly, submissive before the benefactor, the tongue commencing on praising and acknowledging the benefactor, and the limbs obeying the benefactor and not using the object of beneficence in a way that the benefactor might dislike. Shukr also denotes the heart of the beneficiary being filled with love for the benefactor. All of this is apparent in the hadith which mentions how Rasulullah thankfulness to Allah became apparent by his praying at night with immense devotion despite knowing that all his faults had already been forgiven by Allah so much so that his feet became swollen and cracked. And this action of his is ultimate proof of how humble, submissive, overflowing with love for Allah his heart was. Allahu Akbar. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was not just a thankful slave of Allah, but the humility of his heart was also apparent by how he always tried to appreciate Allah's creation. People who did good, people who helped him out in difficult times. Even in the modern world, thanking people is a surefire way to win their hearts and a great way for a leader to motivate his followers to always appreciate the good that they do. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this quality. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was an appreciative husband an accepting guest, a thankful leader and authority figure. Allahu Akbar. Let us analyze ourselves. Let's ponder a bit about the state of our own hearts, keeping in mind the definition of shukr. When we realize the enormous blessings that Allah has bestowed upon us, can we become grateful to Him by using those blessings according to His pleasure and remembering and praising him often for them? In turn, we will hopefully realize that the blessings of Allah unfold in our lives through his order and decree first, but through means of his creation. A mother's love and care to nurture her child and the father's toil to provide for the child, the teacher's hard work. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu narrates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, he who does not thank people does not thank Allah. So the acknowledgement of Allah's blessings, their appreciation, their recognition should automatically lead us to be more humble and appreciative with Allah's creation. Just as was the case of Rasulullah who appreciated the good in people no matter how little or seemingly insignificant it appeared to be. اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم Join us after the break as we continue with our program and introduce to you our guest and what we'll be learning from her inshallah stay with us Alhamdulillah our guest today is Sister Sneem Ahmed Basha the owner of Mind First a self-development coach and an author Today, we're learning more from Tasneem on the topic of over-responsibility. 
Are you over-responsible for what happens around you? Or do you take the exact right amount of responsibility? Where is the line? How do you draw the line? And how do you measure what is the appropriate level of responsibility to take in any leadership or life situation? Today, we're talking to Sister Tasneem Ahmed Basha on this. Sister Tasneem, assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the program. And perhaps if we can begin by asking that, Today, as we're talking about responsibility versus overdoing it, there are many aspects to this, but let's start off with the basic. What is meant by overdoing something, and where do we draw the line in terms of responsibility? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and thank you so much for having me on. Talking about responsibility, we are really looking at our ability to respond. And... Um, a good question to ask here is, can I respond in this moment, in this situation, into the request that's being made of me? And asking how am I able to respond to this in a way that honors both parties? So if someone makes a request of you, checking in with yourself, where am I emotionally, where am I physically, where am I mentally? And being able to compromise in a way that honors both yourself, respects both yourself and the other person. Um, and this is ultimately one of the, the first questions that we should answer within ourselves when it comes uh, to responsibility. And you know, there's so many benefits to this, which we'll get into down the line in the show. Shukran for clarifying that. Uh, does mean when it comes to our extended family, we tend to go above and beyond, even if it means putting us out emotionally, financially, and in terms of time. Why is it important to set boundaries when it comes to extended family? And how can one set this, these boundaries without feeling a sense of guilt? Especially with extended family, even in your, you know, in your home. One of the most important reasons for setting boundaries is to get rid of the feeling of resentment. In my practice, this is one of the things I see most often is a person will show up over and over again or go above and beyond and it ultimately results in a feeling of resentment to, towards a relative, towards a family, uh, towards situation. You know, we, we commonly hear things like, I always have to do this. I always have to do everything. It's always me. And that is the dangerous thing about that is that becomes our narrative. And our narrative are these phrases that we say to ourselves, that we say about ourselves, that we say to others about ourselves in our lives. And that literally hypnotizes us into behaving in a certain way. And we come to find it's a way that we are not really happy with. We don't want to be the person that's always doing everything. And yet, because we identify as that, our identity is such an important thing, the way we identify, we identify with that so intensely that it directs our behavior. So we end up doing the very thing we don't want to do and then end up presenting the person or the people who have made that request. So 
that would be one of the most important reasons for setting down boundaries for a healthy relationship. Now, being responsible for our response uh, is is so important. Uh, Our thoughts, our feelings are our own. How do we now learn to adapt to this in a meaningful way? You know, it's exactly that. It's exactly that idea of I am responsible. I am responsible for the for my thoughts, for my feelings, for my emotions, for what I put out into the world. And you know, like I, I just said in, in the previous um, comment, it's the way that we identify. Because if we are not identifying as I am in control, I am in charge, I am the one making the choice about these things, our default is often to go to they made me. They made me feel this way. Um, they made me angry. Uh, they take advantage of me. They, they, they. It's very external. And what happens in a situation like that is we start to believe very strongly that our situation, our internal world, our emotions will only change once they, whoever they are, once they change, once they see our value, acknowledge that we um, get tired, get sick, don't feel like doing something, don't want to show up, are not able to respond, we feel our situation can and will only change once they do that. And my question to my, my clients always is, are you willing to wait for that? If somebody told you, okay, that's fine, um, it will take that particular person who you have the challenge with uh, approximately five years to come to the realization that they should not be taking advantage of you or making continuous requests of you. Are you willing to wait for that for that time? Are you willing to wait for those five years in order for you to start feeling good again, happy, in control, in your agency, in your power, living life the way ideally you would like to? And the answer invariably is no, yet we end up doing it. So being able to acknowledge, yes, it's me. I decide how this goes. Of course, we will have to compromise. Of course, you will have to meet people halfway. Or you have to know to what extent. You have to know how often you are willing to do it. You have to know that your relationship, um, your worth, all of that is not dependent on how much you can show up for others and serve them or do for them even before they've even asked or made the request. Now, the way we respond to others and our speech plays a big role as well. My next question to you, Tasneem, is how can we be more responsible in the way that we speak to our spouses, the people we live with, our family, our loved ones. This is something that we, we see so often and we, we hear about it so often, you know, in, in various lectures, you know, um, motivational speakers. Um, and it's something we see in experience personally as well, that people are more cognizant of how they interact, for example, at work. 
with their colleagues, uh, with their peers, with their superiors, than they are at home. And it's almost as if, um, you know, we can be on our worst behavior at home and keep the good parts for, for out there, which is, is, is not how it should be. There is something to be said here for vulnerability. You know, we all are, I know they say this about children, but I think it's true for all of us, no matter our age, that, um, you know, we are possibly on our worst behavior with the people we feel safest with. And while that is true, because you have that knowledge, um, you know, I, I am loved here, I'm safe here, regardless of the mood I'm in. It should not in any way be the default. It should not be the theme. It should not be the standard, especially of how we interact with our spouses. Um, there has to be an accountability, you know. I think that's maybe one of the motivating factors, especially in a work environment. There's an awareness of um, I'm being watched or, you know, HR might say something. We be very cognizant, be very, you know, um, just on alert of how and what we say. And that goes to show that we have the ability to do that thing. And while it shouldn't get in the way of authenticity of what we are trying to convey of being vulnerable with our partners, with our husbands and with our wives, it, um, there's, there's, there's a great benefit in being able to take an idea or a, um, a comment, a, a suggestion that we would like to convey, that thing that you want to convey, and going over it in your mind, you know, is this the best possible way to say it? And I think, you know, Islam really supports this, having the best of speech, saying it in the best possible way. Um, I remember reading a hadith recently where Aisha radiallahu anha said that the Prophet wasallam never gave them direct instructions. He would say something like, instead of saying, bring me my shawl, he would say, it's a bit cold outside. Don't you think I should wear my shawl? I thought that's so beautiful. What a wonderful manner of approach. What a wonderful manner of approach that, that speech. And while we are talking about speech, we have to also pay attention to the fact that our facial expression, you know, if you raise your eyebrows, if you don't raise your eyebrows, where your shoulders are, your body language, all of that plays a very big part in our communication, especially in our homes. And our children are watching. If you want to know, and this is my, my own observation, if you want to know how it is that you treat your spouse, just have a look at how your children interact with their mother or their father, you know. Um, you, and you'll see a lot of, because it's, it's a learned behavior, the way they talk, um, the way they value or devalue, uh, the way they respond. It's a copy and paste in most situations. Sometimes it's a caretaking because we've seen the opposite. You know, sometimes a child feels like they have to overdo it because they see the one parent not getting enough, which is also quite a difficult thing to get through. But how we interact with our spouse. It's, it's our speech, it's what we say, it's our body language, it's our tone of voice. All of these things um, are things that we absolutely have control over. And we have to be so careful not to sort of, you know, just sort of um, replay what we've heard perhaps in our family of origin 
or you know what we've seen in our culture what we've seen in our community and just sort of like yeah that's how you talk to men for example or that's how you talk to women because women are like this and men are like that always realize you are dealing with a very unique individual and that individually somebody who is valued by Allah Shukran for that, Tasneem. Shukran for clarifying that and really highlighting this. Um, listeners, if you've just joined us, we are speaking to uh, author, um, uh, life coach, and the founder of Mind First, Sister Tasneem Ahmed Basha, on the topic of over-responsibility and boundaries. Tasneem, our next question would be more to do with, uh, again, with boundaries. But, you know, when we don't set or we don't draw boundaries you know, with our thoughts, our relationships, our emotions, it's as if the door is open and we turn, end up exhausted, burnt out. How can we set boundaries when it comes to emotions and why is this needed? When it comes to emotions and thoughts, um, I'm assuming this is alluding to when we show up in the role of, of empath, you know, those moments where we take on the feelings of others, when we take on the thoughts of others, and it's almost like a worry that's on, on summer for, for a long period of time. And exactly that, it's like it, it leaves this door open, um, or I like to think of it as an energetic drain, an electrical drain, and you end up exhausted by it because... There's perhaps some kind of programming in us that feels as though if we are worrying, if we are concerned, then we are doing something to better the person's situation. And 100% that can leave you feeling drained. And concern has its place, but it has to have um, construction to it. It has to be constructive. So thinking about it and, and mulling over it and continuously just like, again, the narrative becomes something that's very negative, that's very stagnating, that is not helpful neither to yourself or the person that you are, um, you, you know, concerned about. And as, as coaches, as people in, in um, you know, the helping field when it comes to, to thoughts and emotions, psychologists, psychiatrists, things like that, I'm sure doctors, any kind of, of caregiving role, it's something that you really have to learn and we are trained to handle being able to separate yourself from the other person. Okay, there's some practical ways that you can, can do it. Everybody has their own personal practice. One thing I recommend to to my clients who identify as empaths is make with all. Especially if you've just come out of a very intense interaction, a conversation where you you know hurt and may have really upset you, that does upset the the. Um, the regulation of the body's electricity, make with all, um, drink a glass of water, you know, that's sort of like in the moment. But being able to set down that boundary for your own self, to be able to say that this is this person's challenge, this is this person's challenge. And if we can get down to the, you know, to the, to the pain with him, Yes, that is helpful, but for a short period of time. And then we have to get up and almost start making headway on the road of solutions, on the road of uh, maybe just care. Maybe the person does not want a solution. Maybe they don't want an answer. Maybe they just want to be heard. So again, you have to ask yourself, what do I need in this moment to enable me to be here fully? 
um, what do I need in this moment to show up for this person in the way that they need? It comes back to you. It always comes back to us. And does it benefit that person? Absolutely. Ultimately, it will benefit them. But we have to be very wary of falling into that trap, into that loop of sort of going over the story again and again and again. Because what happens is ultimately we just simply mire them in a, again, an identity that does not serve them, that is defeatist in nature. They can't see themselves outside of that situation. So when you are carrying a narrative for somebody, being able to see their potential to get out of that, being able to see the potential to grow from it, being able to see how they could, um, you know, rise above it. You don't have to tell them this. You don't have to give them an instruction because they may not be ready. You, may not, you don't have to give them a suggestion, I mean to say, of how you can handle this. But being able to hold that, that image of them is incredibly supportive. It really is. And it saves you energy. It saves you that anxiety and that worry. And it's, it's really something that we need to learn how to do because we've ultimately been taught the opposite. This me, my next question to you involves our children. Many of our listeners are parents, and with that said, many will agree when I say that they literally do everything for their children. Why is this not such a good idea? And how can we now differentiate between responsibility and overdoing it? And... I suppose my second question is, will doing everything for our children in the long run affect them in a negative way? Tell us more, please. Oh, it definitely affects them negatively. The, one of the first things that our children lose from us doing everything for them is confidence. Remember, confidence comes from a space of being able to trust oneself. Confidence comes from... Um, having a goal, having an aspiration, achieving that, you know, going on to the next thing, achieving that, even if we are not able to achieve it fully, not a 100% so-called success, but just the fact that we are able to show up for that is what builds confidence. Confidence is being able to trust yourself. So if each time a child has a challenge or they have a need, and it can be a small thing like like making a sandwich or making their bed or, or whatever it is, completing their homework by themselves. If each and every single time the child has faces one of these challenges in their context and the parent rushes in to, you know, sort of solve that problem for them, all the child learns is that I can trust my parent. And that's a wonderful thing for a child to have to an extent. It should not be to the exclusion of, you know, I can trust my parent, but I don't trust myself. Mommy or daddy knows exactly how to do that. I don't know how to do that. So maybe if we change the, the frame in which we look at it, it's not so much about giving your child, um, you know, constant solutions, but... Like, like we said previously, being able to hold that vision for your child. I have faith that you can do it. I trust you. I trust your opinion. I trust your judgment. And yes, we'll start off with small things. But remember, for the child, that is not small. They get to see themselves as bigger than they ever 
thought they were. They get to see themselves as more, uh, you know, they have this multi-potential. They have all of these ideas. Um, they can do so much more than they previously thought possible. And what better gift for a parent to give a child. We don't want those gifts to come from somewhere else that's, you know, possibly dangerous. We don't want such a profound experience to be shared with somebody else whom we don't know and we don't trust. And, you know, there's, there's, there's so much of that happening in these times. Let your children know their agency while they are still with you. Let them know that you trust them, therefore they can trust themselves. Let them know that you believe in them to be able to find answers and solutions, um, you know, so that they can believe it for themselves. But we are the ones that show that to them. One of the topics that comes up uh, when we talk about overdoing it and responsibilities, boundaries, this name is the topic of perfectionism. Uh, it is a big issue. We, we need to discuss perhaps in much more detail at a later stage with you. But how about we start just by getting an understanding of what is perfectionism and how does it steal our contentment? You know, I always think of um, perfectionism as anxiety dressed up in heels. And... Uh, I often think that it comes from um, a fear of retribution. You know, if, if I don't do this particular thing perfectly, then um, these are the, the repercussions, these are the consequences I'm going to face. And I think this might come from, you know, experiences we had a long time ago. But there does come a time we, ha we, we have to put it down. And absolutely, it does rob us of contentment in the moment because we cannot be present. When we are in perfectionist mode. We are living very much in the future and that future is very informed by the past, negative past experiences to my mind. And it robs us of that pleasure of being in the present, enjoying the present moment, learning in the present moment. Um, and this, it's, it's wonderful to have things in order. It is. Uh, routines, having all the resources, all of those things are very nice to have. But ultimately, they are not necessary. In fact, we learn more from chaos than we learn from, from ease. Um, and I think that's the beauty of the human spirit. You know, when things are challenging, when things are difficult, when we don't have everything that we need in the moment, that's really and truly when we amaze ourselves and, and the rest of the world. So the same when it comes to people reaching out for support, what would you say is a coach's role when it comes to helping clients learn the difference between responsibility and being overburdened? You know, with it being January, the start of another school and work year, many people are engaging with the services of um, therapists and life coaches. So perhaps you could take us through a bit of that and just give us some guidance in this regard. Well, I think in this case, it depends on the client's goals. So my role is never to tell the client what their goal is. It's uh, My role is never to tell the client what their um, goal emotion or goal mental state is. That is something that comes from the client. But having identified that, 
we would then look at the pros and cons of you know responsibility and then being overburdened for example one of the pros of being overburdened is being seen as the nice guy you know one of the pros of being overburdened is um perhaps sympathy or pity you know people acknowledging you or giving you that attention or that relationship in that way um because we can't get it in the assertive way or we think we can't get it in a certain way but we have to first acknowledge what is it about the situation that's serving me remember even the most um so-called bad habit the baddest habit that we can think of and we keep asking ourselves why can't i stop doing this why can't i stop doing this um it serves us in some way and that's the reason why we're keeping it in our lives so we have to ask that question as a coach would ask this question how is it serving you how is this particular situation serving you and then um finding healthier ways to meet that need what need is it fulfilling and how can we meet it in a healthier way you know is it worth it these are some of the initial questions you know that we would we would ask about this and As we prepare to conclude this interview, uh we are so thankful and grateful for your time today for educating us on these terms, for giving us insight and the hope. Uh, yes, you know, having those skills and those tools, we can have meaningful changes in our lives. And there are choices, conscious choices we can make for the betterment of our physical, mental, spiritual, emotional health. Inshallah. Each week we ask our guest for the siha of the week and we'd like to ask you what yours is to us please Mm mine siha would be when it comes to setting boundaries we often think of it in terms of exclusively sorry in terms of how we allow other people to interact with us but there are two sides to the coin so while definitely it is um helpful in in terms of this is the type of uh behavior that that helps me and this is the type of behavior that bonds me um i'm willing to accept this this is where i can compromise this is where i'm not able to compromise you know with regards to external coming towards you we also have to realize that the same thing applies to us and i want to give the advice in terms of responsibility and over responsibility there's many a time where we would sort of jump in and do something for someone before they even ask and that has value i don't like to think of life in extremes in any way there's nuance to every situation there's lots of times you know when it's it's great to be able to respond in that way you know you know somebody's going through a challenging time for example they've just had a baby and without asking you send over you know a pot of food for example you know or you help somebody cross the uh, cross the road who's clearly having a difficult time i'm not talking about those situations or apply a different method and that's great too but it lets them know that you think they are able so that's my advice and jazakla so much for having me on the show Alhamdulillah and with that we come to the conclusion the end of today's program and the interview we thanks the sister Sneem Ahmed Basha for her time today on the program educating us more about responsibility versus overdoing it Tasneem Ahmed Basha is the owner of Find First she's also a self development coach and an author and inshallah you can find more about her amazing work by searching Mind First online 
Until we meet again in another edition of the program, take good care of yourself, keep us all in your du'as, and may Allah bless you and your loved ones. Wa salafiyah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.